How are you guys doing this morning? So, I had the perfect storm of scheduling uh, this week. So, I was preparing for this message. I did sound for VBS and uh, was preparing for a wedding. So, the thing I did not get done is slides. Um, so, we're going to be old school today and uh, we're going to use our Bibles and not have slides. Uh, and also, if I seem a little tired, it's because I am. I'm ready for a nap. Uh, those kids had energy, and I wish I could have had some of that, but uh, it's all good. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm ready. Um, so... Many of you know that I was in the military, uh, served in the Air Force for 27 years. Uh, some of you may not. And uh, during that time, I would, uh, not frequently, not as frequently as some of the Army guys, but I would go on what's called temporary duty assignments, so either training or um, something else. And then I did several deployments um, to exotic desert locations, um, which were always tons of fun. Um, and, and Trisha and I would always try to make sure that before I went on those uh, exotic vacations that we would have important conversations. Uh, because I was never in direct combat, um, but there was always a possibility that I wasn't coming back. Um, you know, because things happen in war zones and, and there's accidents or whatever. Um, and when I was over there, uh, communication was sketchy at best. So uh, if I was lucky, we'd get one 15-minute phone call a week. Uh, sometimes that wouldn't happen because we couldn't coordinate always ahead of time. Uh, so sometimes I'd call and she wouldn't be home because she couldn't sit there. Uh, forever just waiting for me to call. Sometimes we couldn't get a line, uh, whatever. So there just wasn't an opportunity for us when I was deployed to have those important conversations. Um, some of the things we talked about were weighty. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd tell her, I want you to get married again and, and uh, you know, what to do with the life insurance money. Uh, some of them were not, you know, uh, how to change the oil and filter in the car. Uh, please don't sell my grill. Uh, <laughs> You know, give it to somebody that'll use it. Um, but but they were things that I wanted her to know uh, so that if I didn't come back, that she would be able to live life without me, that it, it would be uh, something that would help her, okay? Okay, and that's what Peter has done for us in this epistle, all right? Um, these are the last words of the Apostle Peter. Uh, tradition tells us that he was... He was martyred in Rome sometime around A.D. 68, give or take a year or so. Um, and he was crucified. Tradition tells us again that he was crucified upside down uh, because he didn't think he was worthy to suffer in the same way that Christ did. And so these are his last words um, to the church that he loved. And he was giving them to the church to help them after he was gone to carry on. And in fact... In verse 1, uh, that's what he says. In chapter 1, verses 13 and 15, he explicitly states this is the reason he wrote the letter. I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, 
since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Now, now Peter's main concern in this letter is, is going to come in chapter 2. He's mainly concerned with false teachers. But he's going to give us an antidote to those false teachings in chapter 1 and chapter 3. In chapter 1, he's going to tell us uh, that if you diligently work to provide uh, character qualities and, and supplement your faith, you won't fall prey to these false teachers. And in chapter 3, he's going to tell us that if you eagerly anticipate and look forward to Christ's return, the same thing will happen. You're, you're not going to fall prey to these false teachers. Um, and so what we're going to look at is we're going to look at that first prescription today. We're going to look at chapter 1, which is growing in your faith. And so I want, you to, I want you to kind of think this is all in the context of protecting you against false teachings. All right? All right, the heart of chapter 1 is uh, verses 5 to 9, and that's where Peter lists eight qualities the believer needs to work diligently to develop. Uh, but he starts the letter by talking about faith. And so I, I want to say a couple of things about, uh, about faith. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but he does pack a lot into uh, these few verses. So right off the bat, uh, in verse 1, he says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So, so Peter is making the case right from the beginning that salvation comes by Christ's righteousness and through faith in Christ's righteousness. All right. And this is important because one of the heresies that the false teachers um, were, were promoting was they were denying Christ. So right off the bat, P Peter wants to say, this is faith. Um, salvation by Christ's righteousness. And he's also going to say that it's by Christ's righteousness um, because he's looking... Um, He's going to give us these eight qualities, but Peter wants us to understand that these qualities in themselves are not salvific. So they're, they don't save us, right? He's going to say work diligently to add them to your faith, but, but they're, not, they're not faith that saves. They're evidences of a saving faith. And so Peter wants to make that distinction right off the bat uh, that, yes, develop these qualities, but these qualities in and of themselves don't save you. Okay. The second thing to note that Peter notes is that faith involves God's power. In verse 3, he says, God's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So when we're saved and sealed by the Holy Spirit, we are given everything that we need for life and godliness. Uh, Paul says it this way in Romans 8.32. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen, guys, God means for us to obey and glorify him. But he knows what kind of creatures we are. He knows that we're frail. He knows that we uh, struggle with our sin nature. He knows what type of people we are. And so he gives us those things that we need to enable us to obey him. Okay, and then going on. So, so in the first four verses... Uh, uh, Peter says that faith is foundational. Because of our faith in Christ, we have everything that we need. 
we have God's promises. Okay, that's, that's verse 4. Um, um, we have God's promises, and we get to partake in God's nature. Okay, so not that we become divine, but we become sharers in God's nature. That's what the word partake means. It's koinonia, sharers. All right. So what Peter is really saying here, distilling the first four verses, uh, Peter is saying because uh, you have been given new life in Christ, because you have uh, been transferred from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life, that's a reality in your life. Now, work diligently to make your character match the reality of your life. Okay, that, that's in essence what Peter is saying in these first uh, four verses. And so let's look at what he's going to say we should add. Um, going down to verse 5, uh, it says, For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. Okay, and I want to pause quickly uh, on, on that words, those two, three words. So the, make every effort, the NASB translates that as applying all diligence, okay? And, and the, the sense of the Greek term there is to, um, it's haste, zeal, it's, it's moving forward. Uh, I was trying to think of an English uh, idiom that would fit, and the closest thing I could come to was uh, leave everything on the field. You guys have heard that that phrase, uh, leave everything on the field. Don't spare any effort in uh, adding these qualities to your faith. Uh, what helped me was, uh, have you guys seen the movie Facing the Giants? Has everybody, everybody seen that? You remember the part where uh, the coach asked Brock, hey, will you give me your best effort? Okay, if you haven't seen the movie, just Google that part on YouTube and you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, but anyway, so he asked Brock, he says, I need you to give me your best effort. Can you give me your best effort? And he says, yeah, I can, you know, in typical teenage fashion, yeah, I give you my best effort. And, and so the coach says, okay, well, I want you to do the death crawl uh, from the end zone to the, to the 50 yard line with somebody on your back. Okay, and the death crawl is where you're crawling on your hands and your uh, legs. Your knees can't touch any surface, so you're crawling with somebody on your back. All right? And so he starts, and he starts, and he starts, and, and, he, and things are going pretty well. Uh, and at some point, it starts to get hard. And, and he starts to say, uh, he's heavy. Uh, my arms hurt. My back hurts. I can't do it. Okay? Uh, and you realize at some point, he's past the 50-yard line because the people on the sidelines are, are standing up and looking, and they've got these amazed looks on their faces. Uh, and then it, he keeps going. He keeps going, right? Because he's blindfolded. He can't see where he's at. Uh, and then it gets really hard. And now he's screaming, I can't go any further. And at this point, the coach is on the ground saying, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep going. You know, 10 more steps, five more steps, three more steps. Finally, he just he cannot go any further. He collapses in the end zone. Uh, so he's made it the entire length of the field, Okay. That's a picture of what this word is saying. Make every effort. Go until you can't go any further to add these qualities to your life. All right? And the, in verse 4, um, the Greek that's translated as supplement, it means to lavishly supply something. So it was originally, uh, the term was originally meant for, um, it's a theater term. 
And so it was, uh, they would stage these productions, wealthy patrons would stage these choruses, these theatrical productions, and they would compete to see who could have the most lavish costumes, the most lavish stages, all right? So Peter's saying, make every effort to add these qualities, and don't just add these qualities in a little bit, add these qualities to the maximum extent you can, all right? Work, work, work to add all these things to you. All right. So I want to recap because we've covered tons of ground and probably enough for a sermon right there. Uh, okay, so, so Peter is saying that we're, we're saved by Christ's righteousness. God's power gives us everything that we need to live godly lives. Uh, we partake in the divine nature and we've escaped the corruption in the world. And because of that, we're, we're trying to make our character match our reality of who we are. So let's look at these Let's look at these virtues, these characters, uh, qualities, I'm sorry. Uh, the first is virtue. Uh, some translations say moral excellence. Uh, the Greek word is arete, uh, and it can have a dual meaning. So uh, the first is a sense of uh, moral courage, so standing, uh, doing what's right. Um, uh, Acts 4 does not use this word, but it's a good picture of that kind of moral courage. So if you remember Peter and John, they get hauled in before the Sanhedrin uh, and they get threatened and they say, don't preach in this name uh, any longer. And, and Peter says, well, you decide, this is my paraphrase, uh, you decide whether it's right for us to obey you or to obey God, but we're going to go out and preach the gospel, right? And what do they do? They, they go out, they, they tell the the assembled brethren, this is what happened to us. And then the, the text says later on that they went out and preached boldly, right? So not just that they, they weren't hiding, skulking. They, they had the courage to go out and preach boldly. And the second sense of the word is uh, the sum total of all excellence. Okay? So what was actually the very best? Um, so it was used of a, of a, of a knife that was of the the best steel that had a, uh, excuse me, had a sharp blade, okay? So that would have been called an, an excellent knife. Um, and so what it means for us, what all that means for us um, is that we need to develop, uh, we need to develop virtues. We need, to, we need to have moral courage to do what's right, to do the right thing. And then we also need to develop moral purity Right? We need to have higher standards of right and wrong. Um, and listen, guys, that, that is needed so much in the church today. All right? Uh, we need to live exemplary lives and because we have a world that's watching and a world that, that is moving further and further away. Uh, you know, people call it post-Christian, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's moving further and further away from the gospel. And so we need to live lives that, that exemplify that. Okay, and the second, uh, he's going to say, so add, add to your faith, virtue, and to virtue, knowledge. And the idea here, knowledge is not necessarily uh, knowing facts or figures or book knowledge. It's the ability to discern, to understand and discern things. Um, so think of it this way. Um, moral excellence provides the desire to do right uh, and to avoid wrong. Uh, 
And then knowledge provides uh, the discernment and the understanding to know what that right thing is. Okay? Um, Hebrews 5.14 tells us that, that we can actually train our powers of discernment. We can train our powers of discernment by practice to distinguish between uh, good and evil. And Romans 12 says something similar. Uh, Paul says that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. That's our acceptable form of worship, one of the translations said. And as we do that, we develop the ability to know what God's perfect will is. His good, uh, the ESV says is good, pleasing, and perfect will. Okay, so, so again, going back to um, the, the times that we live in, do we, do we need discernment in our day and age, right? Okay, because again, we, we live in a hostile culture. And not only a hostile culture, but we, the church professing Christians are increasingly uh, moving away from biblical standards, right? Uh, there's increasing pressure to accept things that the scripture says uh, we should not accept, whether that's the authority or the inerrancy of scripture, whether that's our, uh, what our creation, our actual being as male and female, uh, whether that's behaviors that the scripture clearly says are not acceptable, there, there's increasing pressure on the church and we're gonna need to discern the right way. And, and I'm not a prophet, so this is not prophecy, but those pressures are not gonna get better, right? So we, we've passed the tipping point where we're gonna go back. Uh, that's, that's my prophecy, I don't know if it'll be accurate, but I don't see any signs that, that they're gonna get better, they're gonna get worse. And so we're gonna need more and more to have that discernment because we're gonna be faced one way or another with those decisions. All right, the next one is self-control. You guys doing okay? It's like, yeah, okay. Maybe we need to get up and sing the song again. Would that, would that help? Seventh inning stretch. So there, there's a lot of stuff in this chapter. So in uh, just these verses. Okay, so next is self-control. And it means holding yourself in. Uh, it was frequently used to talk about athletes that were in training. Um, Paul uses it that way in 1 Corinthians 9.25 where he talks about athletes exercising self-control in all things so that they could win a prize, right? Uh, and he's going to use it later on in that chapter of himself. He's going to say, uh, I beat my body. I, I make it submit so that I'm not disqualified. Um, and again... This is not passively controlling yourself. This is actively uh, controlling your appetites, your passions, your desires, um, uh, all those things, keeping yourself under control. All right. Uh, let me tell you a qu quick story. So when we lived in Virginia, uh, we lived next to uh, this retired colonel, uh, Ken. And... Ken would, Trisha and Ken got along great. Uh, I was enlisted and Ken and I did not get along great because uh, Ken thought he was still in the army and, uh, and I was one of his troops. And so I just didn't respond very well to that at all. Uh, most of the time it was not a big deal. I just kind of laughed it off. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Uh, but there, there was one day, uh, it was over a parking spot, I think. I can't even remember, it's been so long. Uh, that Ken just pushed every button I had all at the same time. And I lost my mind. 
And we were, in fact, it was so bad, we were yelling at each other that somebody, uh, a friend of ours from the other, it was like a street over, uh, called Trisha and said, hey, do I, do I need to come help out? Is there, is there a problem? Okay. Okay, so, so I tell you that because that was a total lack of self-control on my part. And, and here's why that matters and why it, it mattered then and it matters for us now. is because we were trying to witness to Ken. All right, Ken was not saved. Yeah? And so we had patiently tried to share the gospel with Ken. That was, that was wiped out in that moment. Okay? And it took months. I went over that same day with my tail between my legs, and I apologized to Ken. I told him that was inappropriate. Uh, you're my elder, you're my neighbor. I should not have done that, and I am so very sorry. Please forgive me. And he politely told me to get off his front porch uh, in, in colorful Colonel Army language, uh, and, and so I did. Uh, but it took months to repair that, that relationship, okay? So, so that's why self-control is so important, right? Not just uh, because of something like that, because, because there can, it can lead to moral failures when you don't. How many times have we seen a, a church leader who didn't exercise self-control in some area, right? You, you can look at almost every failure, and it, it ties back to a lack of self-control, right? So it's, it's vitally important that we do it. All right, and next he's going to say uh, steadfastness. So the fourth quality is steadfastness. This is sometimes, sometimes translated as patience or endurance. And this has to do with enduring trials and difficulties. Uh, so this is a type of joyful endurance that, that Paul talks about uh, in Romans 5 and James talks about in, in chapter 1. This is a joyful endurance that looks past the trial to the effect of the trial, right? And, and endures that trial uh, with joy because it's, it's producing something in us. And that's what he's talking about with steadfastness. Uh, and one of those things that steadfastness under trial produces is godliness. Um, and godliness means reverence or piety directed at God. It can also be translated uh, as true worship. And it just carries the idea of being, uh, being conscious of God, being, being God-centered. If you guys can remember back a couple weeks, uh, maybe you can't, uh, when I mentioned Don Whitney's uh, definition of worship. And remember I said it was being preoccupied with God. Well, that's the sense of of godliness. It's thinking thoughts about God. It's, it's constantly having God in your mind um, so that other concerns are secondary. All right, so we're almost through, almost through the qualities. He's going to say, so add um, to godliness brotherly kindness. All right, and that's a, that's a translation of the Greek word Philadelphia. Brotherly love, the brotherly affection we should have for one another. Um, you know, one of the great things about the church is the diversity uh, that God brings to it. So people from diff different ethnicities, uh, different backgrounds, socioeconomic status, we're all part of the same body, okay? And that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Uh, Revelation says that we're, we're going to worship together from every tribe, tongue, and nation, and it's going to be glorious. 
but that also brings friction sometimes, right? Uh, Trisha and I joke sometimes that it's amazing that she and I found the only two normal people in the world to marry. <laughs> All right, and I bet you guys have said the same thing to your spouses if you're married, or or to other people in your family, right? Right? Because you look at other people, I'm like, those people are nuts. All right, but Peter's saying, uh, have God, have brotherly love for each other. All right, and not just have it, work at it. Be diligent to work at it. Right? Do, do we all need sometimes to work at, at brotherly love, brotherly affection? Yeah, we do. All right, and, and brotherly affection is closely tied to love, which is the last quality that Peter says uh, that we need to add. And that's a translation of agape, right? The sacrificial love that we should have for one another. Okay, so have brotherly love uh, and then have sacrificial love for each other. Right? And, and agape is so important that Jesus said it would be one of the characteristics of being a disciple of his. All right? By this kind of love, this agape love that we have for each other, that's how people outside the family would know that we belong to Christ, that we're disciples. All right? And, and, and John goes uh, maybe a little bit further. He says, if you don't have this type of love, you're not in Christ. So if that's, if that's not exhibited amongst us, then we don't have Christ. All right, so that's quite a list, isn't it? And it's easy to get discouraged because you think, wow, how am I ever going to do that? Uh, I, I want to say a couple of things. I would refer you back to verse 3, okay, where, where Peter says, everything you need, you have already been given. God's power has already given you everything you need for life and godliness. Uh, if, if you're truly a child of God, you possess all the power, you possess all the ability that you need to do this. You just need to do it. All right? And, and the methods to do this are not some secret. Uh, it should come as no shock to anybody uh, how you add these qualities. All right? Uh, the first is you, you need to be in the Word. You need to read your Bible. Memorize it. Meditate on it. You need to be in prayer. You need to be in fellowship with one another. All right? You need to be in small groups, accountability to each other. You need to be doing those in, in places where you can do the one another's. Love one another. Bear one another's burdens. Uh, care for one another. All right? Work diligently relying on God's power to do these things. It's not like you're doing them on your own. You have God's power to do them. All right, so in closing, there's, I just want to quickly go through four, uh, four benefits of doing this. All right. So he's going to say, in, in verse 8, Peter's going to say, uh, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And again, this is in the context of inoculating us against false teachers, right? Um, so, so Peter is saying when we, when we have these qualities, when we're growing, we're more Christ-like and more Christ-minded, um, we're going to be kept from false teaching, and we're also going to bear fruit for the kingdom. 
which is what we all, I hope, want to do. We all want to bear fruit for the kingdom. Uh, second, you're going to have focused vision. Uh, Peter says that someone without these qualities, if you don't have these qualities, and you are so nearsighted that you're blind, having forgotten that you were cleansed from your sins. Um, commentators were kind of all over the map on whether Peter was referring to uh, people that were not saved or whether uh, they were just people that were not uh, living their lives the way they should. Um, but one of the things most of the commentators agreed on uh, was that Peter had in mind people who have a deficient view of salvation, so more the fire insurance view of salvation. Uh, I am saved and I don't need to do anything else. They weren't fully recognizing the privileges and the responsibilities of, of being in Christ. Um, the third benefit is you'll gain assurance of your salvation. Uh, now, again, these qualities in and of themselves don't save you. Uh, they're evidences that you possess a saving faith. And then Peter's also going to say that if uh, you possess these qualities and they're increasing, you're never going to fall. Now, he doesn't mean there that you're not going to sin uh, because we know that's not the case, that you're not ever going to sin. What, what, again, what he's talking about is you won't fall prey to these false teachers, okay? Uh, because you're growing in these graces, because you're growing in your faith. When somebody comes along and tries to dangle something uh, that's fake or counterfeit, you're not going to be tempted by that. And then finally, he's going to say, because, uh, because we're living for Christ, we're effective, we're fruitful, that there will be rewards, Will be rewarded, richly rewarded. He's not talking about uh, that we earn salvation again, um, but that we were going to be rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, think of the parable of the talents, right? Uh, the, the worker who made more money uh, said, you'll be rewarded. Okay, And that's kind of the idea that, that Peter is talking about. Okay, uh, there's some diagnostic questions at the bottom of your study sheet for you to think about at home. Um, and I, I just wanted to say a word about these. Um, if, if, you have, if you look at your life and, and you say, well, I have these qualities, but they're not very strong, don't, don't immediately jump to the thing that you're not saved, okay? Um, if you have an otherwise orthodox view of salvation, um, just because these qualities are, are weak in your life, it doesn't mean you're not saved, okay? You could just be lazy or, uh, well, <laughs> yes, sorry. That's my tiredness coming out. Um, but yeah, I, it, just, it just could be, uh, or, or uh, for a lot of us, I think just life gets in the way, right? And we don't, we don't pay attention uh, to the things that we should because we're, we're busy uh, raising kids or, or whatever it is. Um, but if you look at your life and, and honestly look at your life and evaluate, and you can see zero evidence of these character qualities, there might be a problem, okay? It, it could still be that you're saved, but if you don't see any evidence at all, I'm talking none, uh, then I would question, okay? The good news is the scripture says today is a day of salvation, okay? So if whatever you go home and you're thinking about it and you think, I, I just don't see any of this in my life. Maybe you talk to somebody, hey, does, does this characterize me? 
And they say, no, well, the good news is that you don't have to stay in that state. Uh, you can put your faith, as, as Peter said, you can put your faith in the righteousness of Christ. And you can be transferred from the kingdom of death to the kingdom of life. All right? You don't have to stay that way. Um, you know, things have not changed very much from A.D. 68. Uh, it's kind of disheartening to, to, to think about that, that uh, we have all these technological marvels, right? Right here I have more computing power than uh, what would have been in the size of this room 50 years ago. But really people haven't changed that much. Uh, and, and the church has not changed that much, okay? Uh, we're going to talk next week. There, there are still false teachers. There are still people who want to say, uh, go this way, okay? Uh, the good thing for us is that uh, the message of Peter hasn't changed either, okay? So, so we, can do these, we can do these things. We can diligently work to develop these qualities, and we can be prevented from falling into error. And that, that is sorely needed in our world. So it just remains for us to do it. All right? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Uh, thank you, dear God, for the power that you give, for your spirit. Uh, thank you, dear God, for the gift of salvation. Uh, Father, for uh, your great love for us, uh, just pray to God that we would be a people who are marked by these qualities, that we'd be a people who are marked uh, as different and distinct and unique. Um, Father, let us be about uh, the business of loving you, uh, loving each other, and loving this world, dear God. It's in your beautiful name I ask it. Amen.